They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end, against the odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. It seems like Wanderlust became a communication tool, basically, between those who were serving overseas and those who are still here in New Zealand. I'm Sue Berman. And I'm Benjamin Brooking. In order to set the scene for this story, it's probably best to tell you that we are going to be exploring two topics in particular, tramping and the Second World War. During the COVID-19 lockdowns, many organisations around the country mobilised to do what they could in their own ways to support the overall effort. Similarly, during the Second World War, groups of people around the country tried to do whatever they could to help with that effort. Auckland Tramping Club's magazine, which is called Wonderlust, played a really interesting role during these years, amongst other things becoming a sort of message board between members who remained in Auckland and members who had enlisted and were fighting overseas. The story is about that difficult period of history. Kia ora koutou, ko Sharon Smith Takuungoa. Well, I started off in special collections at uh, Auckland Libraries about five years ago now, six years ago. And one of my favourite things to do is to look at what we've got in our collections, research, and also to select and curate exhibitions. A couple of photographs popped up and they were beautiful. They had a lovely sense about them in colour. They were lantern slides hand-cutted lantern slides of people tramping, basically. They were just so lovely. Lantern slides are glass plates that have been treated a bit like film, with a chemical emulsion on one side that is exposed to an image. It's a positive exposure rather than a negative, and this meant that you could shine a light through it using what was called a magic lantern and project an image. At the time, these would have been black and white unless coloured by hand. Can you describe what you saw? What was on those initial photos? What did they look like? Well, one was a photograph, I think, of about four women tramping what looks like to be some kind of uniform almost uh, on Rangitoto Island. Blue sky, nice times. (laughs) Tramping is just such good fun and you meet people and have a lovely, enjoyed experience. Um, But most of all, because you're out in amongst nature, which is a beautiful place to be. So once you see something that's lovely, you want to go and see some more. So I started looking online at what else we had. And turns out that they were donated by the uh, Auckland Tramping Club. Uh, early slides of people out and about in the, the region of Tamaki Makaurau. And so that piqued your interest enough. Then what happened? Then I came across these little cute tramping boots. And we're talking about a physical pair of actual boots. Yeah. <laughs> These beautiful little miniature tramping boots, hand-sewn brown leather. These boots are a little pair of handmade leather boots, just a few inches tall. They're a tradition of the club for trampers that have made it to 50 years of membership. Um, and they were belong to a different collection, um, uh, Wilma Marriott, whose nickname was Spider, and uh, they were given to her after she had been in the club for about 50 years. And so I just started looking around to see what else was in there and what else we held. And I found out that we had these great magazines that had been published by the club. Originally they were called, it was a magazine called The Hobo, which was 
the very earliest publication that they made, which basically consisted of a tiny bit of club news, but mainly program of walks for the coming month. And that, that carried through, and I believe that Wanderlust began in 1936. They got a new masthead and a new name, and that run has been unbroken ever since. So it's still going, still being published. And what do they physically look like? Well, they varied in size. We've got kind of not quite A4 size. That was kind of the bulk of the, the size during the 1930s, 1940s. During the war years, they went down to quite a small size, like A5 size. And now they come out in an A5 size, but there's quite a bit more content in them these days. Yeah, and photographs. <laughs> Whereas before it would have been hand-drawn line drawings, really. So as I was going through, I got to the nine, late 1930s, early 1940s, and then something changed and it sort of leapt out at me. I was really surprised. And it was when they started talking about the war. A passage in the Wanderlust from the club writing to club members. Keep the club in touch with the trampers abroad. The editors will be very grateful in the future for any letters that may be published concerning members of the Auckland Tramping Club who are serving overseas. It seems like Wanderlust became a communication tool, basically, between those who are serving overseas and those who are still here in New Zealand. Early on, we've got the club inviting people to give their letters and we've got the troops sending over letters and they're being put on the front page of, of Wanderlust. So they created, the club created a page called um, Two Trampers Abroad where they um, directly address the, the servicemen who are overseas. And, um, and the servicemen publish or get their stories published in the magazine. Are there any excerpts that you can read? Oh, I'll just read an example, first of all, though, of the two trampers abroad. Dear dot, 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 dot. Tramps and activities are going on as usual. Is everything going well with you? Every trip we make, whether tramping through the Waitakere's, bathing in the rollers on the black west coast beaches, or sitting around the fireside of Ngaro Te Kotare, that was their club hut, brings pleasant memories of trips we had. You are not so far away... The trees, the mountains and west coast can give life to memories with their subtle associations. Discussing past incidents is pleasing in its way, but nothing like the anticipation of tramps that we shall enjoy soon when the boys come home. Hoping you get your wanderlust safely. Yours always, the ATC. So that would have been written in the edition and then the edition would have been sent out. Yeah, yeah. How did it just get, um, they, they would have just put a bunch of copies in, in those packages and sent them out to the members? Yeah, I suppose they would usually have been incorporated into the food parcels or whatever parcels they sent over. Um, so let's see if we can find something. Mail arrives. Oh, this is it. So this is published in Wonderlust in November 1940. Letter from Charlie Gentle. Dear Tommy and the rest of the ATC, the great day arrived last week when sex and sex came in, all with suggestive curves, bulges and corners. It was our long-anticipated mail. 
the first for four months, and in it I got letters from Marge, Tubby, and a joint one from Roy and Charlie. Also, my wonderlust arrived, the June issue. After reading the letters in the Wonderlust from Egyptian members of the ATC, I will try to tell you of something that they haven't mentioned yet. Now we are stationed on the shores of the blue Mediterranean, and it is quite as blue as books on the subject lead one to believe. But in spite of its attraction, the first thing I noticed, after being used to NZ's coastal scenery, was the total lack of life on the shores. The beaches are virgin white and stretch for miles in each direction. There is a reef close inshore with about eight feet of water off the edge into which we can dive for hours, trying unsuccessfully to catch the elusive but lazy little fish. Is that some of them were like trip reports? Which makes perfect sense. <laughs> so there are many different um, accounts of people's journeys and encounters and experiences during wartime. Um, some focus on the insects in the desert, some focus on, or many focus on the landscapes. Um, I might read another. Please. We soon passed through a typical Arab town, Beersheba. The country round here was the scene of considerable fighting in the last war both Australians and New Zealanders participating. On one side of the town is a well-tended Anzac cemetery, which was a blaze of flowers when we passed. The further we proceeded into Palestine, the more my preconceived ideas of the country had to be revised. These impressions, based, I hope, on the pictures of the country around Jerusalem, were of a rather rocky, barren land with stunted olive trees dotting the hillsides. In actual fact, for mile after mile, we passed through a scene of rich crops and heavily laden citrus orchards, unbroken save for the prosperous looking little villages and hamlets. Except close to the villages and round the orchards, there appear to be no fences. And to a New Zealander, this is certainly an unusual feature. Whenever we stopped near an orchard, we were loaded with huge, juicy grapefruit. These proved quite sweet enough to eat without the addition of sugar. We passed through many Jewish colonies, the immigrants looking bronzed and healthy, working in the fields. In the orchards and on flower farmlets, poultry runs and so on. In fact, it all reminded one very much of home. So nice. Yeah, it's quite neat. Eh? I mean, you can go on for ages, you know. <laughs> like, Did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, how much, yeah, how much is there? That's like just such a small taste. Yeah, there, there is a lot. It's quite a nice mix. The Auckland Tramping Club members who were here uh, wanted to support the soldiers by creating food parcels. In order to do that, they held, you know, over quite a period of time, bring and buy evenings. And, and this is a report from one of them, which reads as, This was easily one of the most successful evenings that ATC has had and that the idea of sending Christmas parcels to our own boys overseas appealed strongly to the pouring in a week before. 
the total amount raised was £25 and 9 shillings. It was a great effort and a real surprise. We aimed at £10 and one optimist expected 15 But any more was beyond our wildest dreams. And yeah, how do you think the money would have been spent? Well, let's, or do we have any indication? Let's find out. Okay, so thanks are due to all the club who gave so generously and spent so freely. Each parcel contained approximately, in addition to the cake, one tin of fruit, one tin of tomato juice, one packet of razor blades, one toothbrush and block, one cake of soap, khaki handkerchief, towel, tin of coffee and milk, minties, writing paper, pencil, etc, etc, up to the seven pound weight allowed. And we still have in hand the sum of £13.17, which will make up further parcels for the boys later on. What do you think that would have meant to the people at the time? Oh, I think it would have meant an enormous, an enormous amount. One of those parcels didn't arrive for four months. People missing each other, people being in danger, worried they're not going to come back. Yeah, it's hugely important. So let's go to the next food parcel. Last month, another group of 26 parcels, one to each lad overseas, was dispatched. These were three pound parcels and contained approximately a tin each of tohiroa soup, oysters, homemade biscuits, coffee and milk, a handkerchief, needles, buttons and thread. It's so neat to know what was in those parcels. <laughs> why, is that, why is that interesting for you? Well, I, I used to be a postie in a former life, so I was always delivering parcels, so it could be something to do with that. But it's just probably my curiosity of not knowing and wanting to find out. <laughs> How long were you a postie for? Oh, well, I got my first postie run when I was still in Dargaville, because that's where I come from, and it was my first summer out of school. We rode along on bikes, and it was Christmas time. Just glide along and put letters into <laughs> letter boxes. If you get the timing right, you know you don't have to stop your bike. And then later when I moved to Wellington, um, you got to get to work early, did your bit out of the office, nobody over, looking over your shoulder, free for the day, finished it, I don't know, maybe two o'clock, rest of the day was yours. What's not to like? <laughs> I am definitely seeing a little bit of a parallel though, picturing you and Wellington walking up and down these hills and that back and forth of dispatches from one place to another, back and back, and orchestrated through, of all places, a tramping club. Well, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's also about adventure. There's a sense of adventure that runs really strongly through both of those things as well, Um, about journeys, about travelling, about pathways, and exploring the unknown, I guess, in different ways. Yeah, I agree. I I do think you've pointed out something that is... (laughs) Yeah, relevant. (laughs) Unfortunately, there was some sad news that came through as well. Um, And I can give you an example of that. This is Wanderlust from June of 1946. And the title is Roy Herrick. In June of 1941... Roy Herrick was listed as missing after the battle for Crete and in the five long years that have passed since then, nothing definite has been heard of him. 
As he was resourceful, brave and a mountaineer, hopes were high that he had got away to the hills and would eventually escape. In the last 18 months, however, these hopes became very slight and now Doris, his wife, has received official advice that he was killed on Crete on June the 2nd in 1941, the day after the embarkation ceased. Roy joined the ATC in 1937, being already a member of the Tararuas and the NZ Alpine Club. He was a keen tramper and a most enthusiastic mountaineer, and had done quite a lot of climbing in the South Island. A fortnight before going overseas with the first echelon, he married his fiancée, Doris Blackford, and to her lot has fallen in the last five years the sickening suspense of day by day waiting for news. Roy saw service in Greece, being in the artillery regiment who fought a holding action against the Germans at Mount Olympus, and he got away to Crete. He had risen from a bombardier to a second lieutenant, and the last word of him is that after he had brought his men to the beach for embarkation, he and three men turned back with a tommy gun to help others in the rear. This action is typical of Roy Herrick as we knew him. He was a leader with a strong sense of responsibility. Full of vitality and fun, yet a soft heart for the troubles of others, Roy was a very popular and much-valued club member, a good companion and a true friend. Our freedom has been bought at the cost of valuable lives like his, and we must never forget it. Lawrence Binion's words for the fallen seem written for Roy and for the others in the club who made the supreme sacrifice. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end, against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. Later on in 1950, the club built a new clubhouse at uh, Ruapehu, and it was called Memorial Hut. And at Memorial Hut, there is a plaque with all of the club members who didn't come back. In Wanderlust in June 1945, headline, European Victory. In the past month, the news of the ceasefire in Europe has come through. We hope and pray that the courage and determination that won the war will also win the peace. normal, nasty little sulky teenager hanging around home getting under Dad's feet. This is when I left high school. And Dad said, oh, for goodness sake, why don't you get something to do? Join the tramping club. Well, I always liked scouts and camping. I found out about the Auckland Tramping Club, joined it and never looked back. I'm Ian Roberts. I've been in the club for approaching 60 years and was president for a couple of years. I've organised tours, I've organised the truck, and uh, generally had a good time. So one day we're out on a Sunday trip, and there's this new new girl turns up, and she has problems with her contact lenses. I turn around to my friend and say, oh no, here's another one, because we had a spate of people having problems with their contact lenses, dropping them, and they'd go into a river, and that's the last we ever saw of them. 
that sort of thing. Yeah, so I got talking to this new girl and, you know, one thing led to another and here we are. Yeah, there's more, but that's probably not to think about public consumption. consumption. Anna Roberts, been in the club a bit less than Ian, met him in the club, one of the many club sort of romances and partnerships that formed a while back. It's a common theme right through Wanderlust, the romances between club members, yeah. I'm Dennis Brown. Um, I've been in Auckland Tramming Club for only a dozen odd years. I currently produce the, um, the newsletter Wanderlust and do a bit of tramping. Well, the, the club was formed in 1925 by seven members, um, believe it or not, and in the first trip programme, which was just a single sheet of paper typed up with what we're doing next week and for the, for the uh, following month, um, and they produced that every month because it was the only way that members could find out what, uh, what the tramps were going to be and where they were going to go and where to meet and that was the start of it. Started right at the very beginning and went for every month for many years. And it slowly started to get more information in it. Um, the committee would make an announcement or two, um, but the 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 main function stayed the same. It was just to let members know where the tramps were. And, and um... then the hobo came into existence, but that only ran for three issues. Didn't last. Lack of contribution That's right. Uh, was given as the reason for folding it. But if you go back even further, very recently we discovered something that was sitting in our club garage, and this was a, a magazine that preceded even the hobo, and this was uh, in 1926, and it was called sure. The Tramp. Tramp yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great names. But by about 1935, 36... The first Wanderlust came out, and it's been going strong ever since. They revamped it, made it better. They they gave it a cover, so there's different cover, uh, coloured covers for each each month. And the first one was this very striking red cover, and it had a lot more interesting content too. They had um, geology or history. Yes, that's or right. Plants, you get trees. Rundown on all of the natural history aspects of the New Zealand bush, particularly that in the Waitakere's. Did they always post them out, do you think, or did people pick them up at club nights? Well, in the time that I've been in the club, both have happened. To say postage, you could pick up your magazine at club night. We would get the magazine every month we were have been members, but I don't suppose there are many people in the club who have gone back to the history website and read all the magazines, and I have, but I actually got started because um, we uh, found that our hut on Ruapehu was no longer sustainable, and there was bits and pieces in their memorabilia, and uh, one of the things was the role of honour, and we left most of the memorabilia with Mem Hut and brought the role of honour back to Auckland. A copy now hangs at our hut in Nwaitakere is Narata Kauteri. But the uh, original is now in the uh, Auckland War Memorial Museum's archives, so it can be looked after properly. That prompted me to start reading about the war years in the club and the guys who were killed. 
Seven's every top. So anyway, I just got interested in it and um, wrote a little piece about the role of honour. It's quite an interesting document in its own right. The role of honour's got 49 names on it, I think it is, 49. Yeah. Um, and they were the people who served overseas. Um, but there were others who, you didn't have any choice in the matter, who um, served in New Zealand. Mm. Like there's one woman, Helen King, is on the Roll of Honour because she served in Fiji. But there were several other women in the club who were in the armed forces, but they didn't get posted overseas. And that's how I got started with reading all the wanderlusts. We, we have this issue that we have um, a wonderful history of a, a, a written hard copy wanderlust and you want to keep the tradition going, right? But on the other hand, people have to pay for it to get it uh, printed and delivered and there's fewer people that are w wanting to pay for it to keep it going. Uh, and most people are just using the website for, the, for that information. So there's these... Um, opposite pulls on us you know we want to keep the tra tradition going but equally we it's a lot of work to produce and if people it's you know but it's not getting the use it once had we're not quite sure where it will go in the future the, uh, the copies that we put them on the truck too um and they tend to be popular for people to actually grab and read they mm. were doing it the other day up at shakespeare yeah. um we have an, um, an association with the Hawaiian Trail and Mountain Club. They've been down here four times, and they were going ecstatic over the Wanderlust. Were they? Mm. Oh, mm. yeah, mm. great read. What an amazing magazine. We need to do something like this type of yeah. thing. <laughs> but I think what we do now is that we'll keep it going until, you know, the 100 is up. It would be very poor form to knock it out at 99, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would not be, it wouldn't be cricket. Dennis and I are on a subcommittee to um, produce a publication to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the club in October 2025. So this publication is going to be a snapshot, if you like, of the club over the 100 years, including photographs and so on and so forth. And that necessitates going back into the old wanderlust, the old annual reports, to pull up facts and figures, if you like, incidents between what the Auckland Public Library's got, what the um, museum has got, and what we had stacked away. We've got nearly every wanderlust that was ever printed. Yeah. I think we're missing maybe four. I don't know how many hundreds there would be now, Dennis. Yeah, well, 11 a year for 100 years, you know. <laughs> It's an amazing collection because it just gives insights into not just tramping, but what life was like back there. You know, the people jumping on trams to get home and that. They just, you can't relate to that anymore. So they'd get the tram into, into town to get the train or the bus out to the Waitakere's. They'd do their tram, they'd get the train back and then the tram back to home. Um, when was the last time you saw a tram? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> Manuscripts and archives collections hold a, a wide range of 
things. They could be journals, diaries, research papers. Uh, they could be photographs or artifacts or taonga that come in along with the other items. There can be minute books, club records basically, um, or they could be a single item, they could be a letter. While a lot of things you will come across in collections are things that you won't be expecting, you'll get a whole lot of detail. You'll get to learn about relationships between people, relationships between organisations and other organisations, who people like to work with, how things are lined in certain ways, what else was going on at the time, the context that provides you with a, an ability to step back in time, to place yourself in that scene at that time and gain a much greater awareness of what other factors were happening at the time. Thanks to Sharon Smith, Anna and Ian Roberts, and Dennis Brown for your contributions to this story. You can find a list of references for this episode in the published notes or get in touch with us by emailing libraryresearch at aucklandcouncil.govt.nz and we'll make sure you can find the collections of your interest. This series is made with Auckland Library's content creation funding and is part of a wider series of short films, now called The Collections Talk, available to view online. This episode was written and produced by me, Sue Berman. It was recorded and produced by me, Benjamin Brooking. And edited and engineered by me, Juliana Machado. This has been Narkle the Collections Podcast, Wonderlust in the War Years. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear the rest of this series and more from Auckland Libraries.